please turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we will focus on one verse this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Lord, as we continue to worship you and we are in your word, Lord, we pray and trust, Lord, that verse in First Thessalonians that says the word does its work in those who believe. So we pray you would do your work in those of us who trust you. And for those that don't have faith, Lord, we ask that you do Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes to hearing, hearing the word of Christ. And so we pray that you would do that even this morning, Lord. For Christ's sake, amen. I would be the first to say that I lack faith. However, the faith that we do have However small that it might be, we need to be pressing forward in that faith. All of us, every Christian, lives a life of faith. And we need to be developing ruts of faith. Now, you can get into a rut, and it can be a a bad rut. Do you know what a rut is? I'm not a very good snow skier. I've skied, I've snow skied maybe 15 times and my kids twice and my kids already are better than me. <laughs> but for me, if I'm skiing, if I can find a rut, you know, a, a place where somebody has already skied and I can place my skis in, in that area, then I can ski pretty good. In our Christian life, we need to lay down ruts of faith. Now, you can have a dirt road, maybe it's a trail that you hike on, and you can see these indentations where people have walked or skied or driven. Little indentations or maybe deep indentations in a road or across grass or across the, the snow. Because they've been this way many, many times, over and over and over and over again. And they've developed a pattern. And so should our own faith be, especially when you look at chapter 11, but even from 1034 to the end of chapter 11, this by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, at least 17 times, by faith, by faith, by faith, you have these indentations, the this deep pattern that is made over and over and over again, because Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Noah, Isaac, verse 35, women received back their dead, by resurrection, all that through faith. This daily decision that today, maybe I I don't have a lot of faith, but the faith that I do have, I'm going to use it to make a step of faith. And you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going. How else do you know that you have faith if you don't keep going? Did you know that even the demons believe? It's the same word like you have here in chapter 11. You have 
pastuo, 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 or pistis, 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 the word for faith or belief or trust in Greek. You have that over and over and over and over again. Well, in James 2.19, it has the same word, and it says the demons even believe. The demons believe God and who he is, but their belief is a satanic belief to where they acknowledge God's existence, but are not submitting and relying on God. But rather, they've chosen their own path. Here, this whole section from 1034 to chapter 11, verse 40, is calling us to press forward in faith and faithfulness in our daily lives and make this pattern, these indentations of faithfulness, so during the hard times, we don't fall away. And we've seen already these means, at least three means, understand that the best is yet to come, refuse to lose confidence in the gospel. And then the rest of the section, all of chapter 11, is exercise your faith. Take steps of faith. Otherwise, how do you know that you have faith? Just saying, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God, that is, that God exists, that Jesus is real. Even the demons saw Jesus and said, the Holy One of God. They knew that Jesus was real, that the Son of God was real, that He was incarnate, that He was divine, and that He was holy. Did they go to heaven? No, demons don't go to heaven. They, there was not this repentant heart of trusting submission to the Lord that was being demonstrated by their lives. How do we know that we have faith? Well, we know have faith. We know that we have faith because we say Jesus is Lord, and yes, I trust Him. But also because even through difficult times, especially through difficult times, we keep pressing forward. So first, then, this morning, we want to talk about believe to obey. You can see that in your notes. In chapter eleven, it was believe to understand, believe to get right with God, believe to please God. And now with Noah this morning, believe to obey. And you can see that here, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Believe to obey, especially when you don't see it. Look at verse 7, it says, By faith Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen. There were certain things that Noah did not see. God made a prophecy, a prediction, and gave a promise that had never been seen before, had never been experienced before. There was no scientific, rationalistic reason why Noah would believe what God was saying. But yet he believed. Why? Because God had said it. So for us, even if you don't get it, if the Bible says it, then it's right and we need to trust God in his word. Difficult times that these believers were in and that times we are in requires faith. The coronavirus pandemic, was that a difficult time? Is that the worst it's going to get? Could something even worse come? Definitely. You know, they've, there's been talks of, of Hamas coming up through our southern border Thousands of them. Is that real? Is it not real? 
I don't know. <laughs> but God is sovereign, and so we live by faith and be ready to share the gospel. <laughs> you know, that, that's one good thing about having a more open border, whatever you believe about that. God in his providence is bringing the nations, what? To us. <laughs> so we can evangelize them. But difficult times require living by faith. When you get to heaven, is it going to be difficult? Will there be scary times in heaven? Will it be hard? Do you know that in heaven, it really won't require faith like faith is in the Bible because we'll see God face to face, right? We walk by faith, not by sight, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. So there is a, a true biblical sense in which forever and forever and forever and forever and forever, it's going to be gloriously easy. And it won't require the kind of faith that we get to use now because we'll see God. We'll see Jesus. Remember what Jesus said, how blessed are those who see and believe, but blessed more are those who don't see and believe. So right now, you and I have a unique opportunity to live by faith in a way which we will never, ever get to ever again. So by God's grace, may we believe in order to, to obey how we make it through difficult times, whatever the nature of those difficult times might be, whether it's health or, or politics or whatever it could be, persecution, we seek to obey God's word. We do that by believing God. And first, this involves trusting the word of God. This involves trusting the word of God. Look back at your text, and what is stressed is faith. And you can see that again. Of course, it's used over and over and over in all these different verses. But even when it says being warned by God, there, there's one main verb here, and that's where it says prepared, uh, prepared or built are created. The rest of the, what says being warned and, and by faith, all the rest of, of the verbals are, are centered around and founded upon and modifying prepared. And here in our text, faith is stressed and being warned, that is by God, about things not yet seen. All of those are modifying and are placed in front of prepared an ark. Not just in a casual way, but in a specific purpose of the writer to emphasize. It was by faith that Noah built the ark. It wasn't that his job was a boat builder. You know, it doesn't say in Genesis 6 and 7, Noah, a boat builder. That, not primarily what he did, right? I imagine he had no idea how to build a boat. That's why God gave instruction. And because Noah didn't live by a body of water. And so what is stressed is this faith. What fueled Noah to build the ark for, and he worked on it for many, 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 many years, was faith. It was trusting God. His refuge was God's word. And you can go back, you can read Genesis 6 to 9 yourself. You can listen to the sermons we did on Genesis there's many books, many different sermons on the internet. God spoke to Noah, told Noah that judgment was coming, that God would save him and his family. All who took refuge 
with Noah and the ark would be saved. And so Noah believed God. He believed God's narrative. He believed God's interpretation. Most likely, before there was a flood on the earth that covered the entire earth, perhaps it had rained, but Noah is building a large ship in the middle of dry land, and there had not been ever such, of course, a climactic flood. Perhaps there was some rain that maybe like a mist that came from the sky and maybe even some from water and fog and some things like that. But this torrential downpour that would destroy everything and Noah is building this large boat in the middle of dry land. Why would he do that? He would have been a laughingstock. The guy's crazy. The old man with the long beard. He's crazy. He and his family. Crazy people. But Noah believed God's narrative and not what was considered to be normative. And in the world which we live in, the world presents what they believe is normal. And then God's word says, here it is what is truly normal. And so Noah is believing God's narrative, God's interpretation. He is living not by the sight of the world, but by the word of God, which gives him new eyes to see. And so we have to ask and answer the question, how do we live? Are we living like Noah? That even when maybe God's word says something that's hard for us to understand and to believe, like Mary only in the Lord. And maybe for us, we'd say, yes, that's so easy to understand. But I know Christian girls that are in their 40s that live in different countries and have yet to find a person that they believe is suitable to marry because they're not even saved. Can't they just marry a Roman Catholic? Is it better to marry a Roman Catholic than a Hindu? What I'm saying is that the Bible says marry only in the Lord. But when times get difficult, even the church or even parents at times... The world would say, just go ahead and marry an unbeliever. At least he's a nominal Christian. That's better than nothing. Then they get married and then, you know, terrible things happen. So what I'm saying that this passage is teaching these believers and us is that the world will present one narrative. This is the norm. It, there will never be judgment from God that would destroy the whole world. That, that's never going to happen, Noah. Come on. Don't be a Fruit Loop. They probably didn't say Fruit Loop. Maybe Fruity. But he believed God. And there wasn't necessarily scientific, evidential reason for that. He was trusting God's Word. He valued God's Word what God said above what everybody else said. Now, the text is also stressing, if you look back at verse 7, it's stressing faith, and it was God, God spoke to Noah, and that generated faith in him. We'll talk more about that toward the end. But also, what is stressed in the text is things not yet seen. And in fact, it's emphasized throughout this whole passage Chapter 11, verse 1 says, the conviction of things not seen. 
And even when we look at Abraham, we'll see that verse 10, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, his architect and builder is God. He was looking beyond the land at things really which he did not see. Verse 14, they were seeking a country of their own. It was a better country and a better land that was not necessarily able to be seen with human eyes. Chapter 10 talks about, in verse 34, that these believers joyfully accepted their possessions being robbed and seized for them because they knew that they had a better possession, a lasting one. What was it? Was it some kind of gold statue that they had that they were looking at? No, they were looking at heaven and Christ, which you can't see with your own human eyes. So for Noah and for these believers and for us, it did for Noah, it did for us, that the things that are not yet seen, those things are what we value. Those things grip our heart and, and seize our mind. The lens that we wear, the glasses that we wear, are the things that are not yet seen. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those that love Him. That's why you have in Colossians chapter 3, fix your, your eyes on the things which are above, where Christ is at, at the right hand of God. Christ is our life. We set our mind on the things above, not the things that are on this earth. Whose truth claims are are we going to believe? We're going to believe what God says in his word. So then, if we take marriage, what do we believe about marriage? Do we believe what modern psychology says about marriage or the earth or whoever, we, we prioritize the Bible. Or even about death. You know, Ron died, what was it, two and a half weeks ago? How does that affect us? You know, both my parents have died. Uh, my two older brothers have died. I've had five dogs die. Many friends have died. My father-in-law died. My mother, my mother-in-law is 87. I thought I was going to die at one time. My brother had open heart surgery. I thought he was going to die. The older that you live, it seems like people just stop, just start to drop like flies. Dead, dead. It's like you live in Genesis 5. Dead, 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 dead. So what do we believe about that? Because it could get very morose. And so we'll talk a little bit about that later. But marriage and death and life for the Christian, we live by faith based upon what the Bible says. Every inch of the Christian life is by faith. Every step you take must be by faith in God's word. Otherwise, you're going to fall flat on your face and have a very, very, very difficult time, especially when times get hard. You can talk about sexuality, money, leadership, health. We have to live by what the Bible says, otherwise we get lost and confused. No one had seen a flood like this. Noah's making a boat on dry land. <laughs> Noah, you need to be put into a, 
an insane asylum. You're crazy. And then you take your kids and their wives and all of you guys are making this boat. All of you are crazy. But who were really the crazy ones? Everybody else. The whole world. Except for Noah. And Noah's passage. I'm sorry, Noah's family. Now, this doesn't mean that faith is necessarily anti-scientific or anti-rationalistic in a sense, right? Because actually, if somebody was truly rational, if somebody truly had, if, think of it this way, if somebody had the mind of God, right? God invented uh, science and God invented reason. So if somebody truly had God's mind, they would truly be reasonable and say, God said this, it must be true, I'm believing it. That's the most logical thing to do. Right? So faith is not anti-logic or anti-science, but people that are spiritually dead can't see. They live a one-dimensional life. As a believer, Noah, you and I have faith in God, so we don't just see into the kingdom of darkness. We don't just live by the here and now. We're in the kingdom of the Son of God. And so we have eyes of faith and ears of faith. And so we're able to see, in a sense, multi-dimensional, meaning that we see into the future and we know Christ and we can see the spiritual world, knowing that what God says is true and it's going to happen. It's more true that Christ will return for sure than I'm going to live after church. Correct? That It's more true that Jesus will return than I'm going to live to the end of this day. Because that's what the Bible says. We don't live in the shadows. Though this is the shadow land, we don't live in the shadows. We see through the shadows. We see Christ. We see the world through the lens of God's word. I can love my enemies because I know I'm already loved by God. I know Romans 5, 5 through 5, 8. That God has poured out his love into my heart and God has demonstrated that love by dying for me on the cross. When I was hopeless, hostile, and helpless, that's when Christ died for me and proved that he loves me. And so out of that, I can love others. Saying then that based upon Rome, uh, Hebrews seven eleven, Noah received the word from God. Here's what's going to happen. Noah says, I don't see this. There's no necessarily current rationalistic scientific evidence that the water level is rising. But God said it, and so I believe it. And that's the lens by which we go throughout our life. Now, in a sense, this is very basic. Again, not basic in terms of it's elementary and so you should be like in first grade. No, not in, not in that sense. Basic like food and water. That is that we live by faith and God and Christ and not being able to truly, with our physical eye, see that which we believe. First Peter chapter 1, verse 8 And though you have not seen him, you what? You love him. Can you love the one that you don't see? Yes. I've had many people tell me, many in uh, the U.S., 
and in India and other places, I've seen Jesus. He's walked beside me. You mean physically? Yes. Even when I lie down, he lies down right here beside me. I've had several people tell me different stories about their, or they physically see Christ. And then normally I come back to 1 Peter 1.8. And though you have not seen him, you love him. <laughs> the Bible says you don't see him. But let's just say that you did see Jesus. Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who see and believe. But blessed more are those who don't see and believe. I'm more blessed than you, brother, because I haven't seen him and I still believe. There is a true sense in which faith, by its nature, believes what it doesn't see. It believes and loves Jesus Christ. It has spiritual eyes that see him in his word, but not yet physically. And there, there is a trust that God's word gives us where we give ourselves unto the Lord. So first, there is this trusting of the word. Believe to obey. Believe to obey as I, not with my physical eye, but with, spiritually, with the eyes of my soul, I see Christ and God and the triune God and spiritual truth and really the truth of the whole universe, God's interpretation of the whole universe and his word, and so I trust him. Now, flowing out of this, then, secondly... This involves taking the word seriously. Taking the word seriously. You see in verse 7, by faith Noah being warned by God. Again, too, it's, it's fronted in the, in the Greek language. They would do this to emphasize things. So by faith and, and not yet seen and, and being warned, all of this is saying all of this happened in Noah's life. And this is why he built this ark, this large boat and saved his whole household. Part of it was that he took God's word seriously. When it says being warned, it's not the word phobia. That's one of the Greek words for fear. It's not that word. It's a different word that means like gravitas, gravity, you know, grave Awe, respect, cautiously, seriously, I think, gets at the terms, usage. You take God's word seriously. The soil of Noah's obedient faith was that he took God's word serious. If you take God's word seriously, then you do what it says. Somebody can say, I love the Bible. I love God's word. Then you would do what it says. If you take God's word seriously, then you do what it says. If you seriously believe that Jesus is going to return, then that's going to impact your life. If you believe seriously that God's word is true, then even though somebody dies, if that person is a believer, you have hope that you will see them again one day. First Thessalonians four thirteen through 18. We take God's word seriously, and so we don't grieve like the world. When I was leaving Ron, the last time I saw Ron, the, the morning of his death, I put my hand on his head and I said, Ron, I don't know if you heard me. I, I trust God you heard me. I, I said, Ron, I, I will see you again. And relatively speaking, it will be soon. <laughs> and then later in the day, he died. And, you know, for my father-in-law and for my, my own mother, there, there was grief, and there is grief, that I don't see them and they're here and now. But I have 
joy, not because I have large faith. I said, I, I lack faith. I, I think I have a small faith. But that small faith that I have believes that God's word is true and that my mother and my father-in-law, perhaps my uh, my dad and Ron and, and many others, Ashish and Dr. Schreeder and, and others are there in heaven with the Lord. And they're not like, okay, I'm bored. When's Tom getting here? No. You know, Ron, we've said, Ron probably got to heaven, sees the Lord. Can you imagine that? You die and you open your eyes. Right? There's Jesus. Ron probably... Jesus probably gave to Ron a trumpet. Here you go, Ron. Play. When we get to heaven, Ron will be able to go going. <laughs> but it's not, it's not the amount of your faith that makes that happen in your mind, but rather even small faith can take God's word seriously. So, you know, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Is that true or false? By all these things, it's life, food, and clothing. Until it's your time to go be, to go be with Jesus, God's going to give you everything you need. Is it true or not true? It's true. And so we take it seriously. And so that's what Noah was doing. This is the idea of being warned by, by God, not yet seen, and reverence. Sorry if I didn't glue it to that word. It's the word reverence. This idea, though, not here of fear, but taking God's word seriously. Remember Paul, it says in 1 Corinthians 2, he preached with trembling in his own heart. It wasn't that he was afraid of the people. He was afraid to be preaching in front of God. He wanted to be accurate and clear. In the same way, Isaiah 66, 2 says that when we hear the word of God, we should hear it with trembling. And it's not the idea that physically, that that's not the idea, but rather it's the idea that we take it seriously in our hearts. I'm not saying that this is wrong, but in, in Russia, I believe this is true, right, Lisa? You never place your Bible, maybe in Egypt too, you, you never place your Bible on the ground. That would be a big no-no. Dirty and dusty. Parts of India also are, are the same way. Because they take the Bible seriously. That's a good custom, but really taking the Bible seriously means that we're not going to get our minds or our souls dirty. It's great to protect your Bible from dust and dirt, but taking God's word seriously means you're going to pay attention to it, not just now like when I'm preaching, yes, but when you leave, you're going to pay attention to it so you don't get your life or mind dirty. That's the idea of taking God's word seriously. So Noah hears this, he acts on it. It's not, I trembled when I heard God's word. And then he leaves, do-do-do-do-do-do, yells at the wife, beats the kids, kicks the dog. Yes. Then he goes back to church, hears a sermon, oh, oh, praise God. Yes. Then goes home, yells at the wife, maybe kicks the kid. You know, no. Noah hears the word of God, has reference, and then what does he do? He makes the ark. He acts on it. So if we take God's word seriously, it's going to change our lives. 
to some degree. And again, it's not the size of the faith. True faith, even if it's the size of a little mustard seed, can move a mountain. Is your faith that big? Is it that big? I believe it is. How do we get there? Do we have this serious attitude toward God's word? Repent, because I, I think at times we have this kind of careless attitude. I don't mean necessarily just listening to the sermon, but after the sermon, do we really care what the Bible says? That's first. Second, pray. Ask God to give us a serious attitude toward the word. And then third, thank God's thoughts after him. Second Corinthians 10.5 calls us to hold our thoughts captive to Christ. And though I illustrated this, I would also say, how do we do this? We said repent, pray. Third, thank God's thoughts after him, holding our thoughts captive. But four, be serious, not just like where you place your Bible, but be serious and, and kindness. Being serious towards God's word does not necessarily mean that you memorize the Bible if you're not being a kind person. You could be a Pharisee and have the Bible memorized, and Jesus mentioned to the Pharisees that they lacked mercy and justice. So when we say take God's word seriously, it means you believe what he says, so you're going to be a kind, loving, gentle, humble, meek person toward others. You're you're going to be patient and have internal holiness. You're not going to love money. I can remember one time, and I think I told you, in eighth grade, in an art class, the teacher said, draw what you love. And I, at first, I, I didn't know what to draw. I wanted to draw the cross and the tomb, but I was a little afraid to do that. And so the teacher came by and said, Tom, you haven't put anything on your paper yet. And I said, yes, I, I'm, I'm thinking about, truly, what do I love? And she said, well, money. Why, why don't you just draw money? I said, I, I don't love money. And it like blew her mind. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? <laughs> and I thought, how sad. You love money. So what I'm saying is if you take God's word seriously, you're going to love what the Bible says about God and truth and Jesus and people and money. You're not going to love money. You're going to love heaven. How do you know if you're serious about God's word that you are more worried about becoming like Jesus Christ than worried about somebody else becoming like Jesus Christ? What I mean is that if you seriously take God at his word, then you are going to do you are going to do what God says. You're not going to simply have all of your focus and care on this other person has to be like Christ, which yes, may they be like Christ. But Noah did what God said. He preached, yes. And we'll talk about it. He preached to others, told them to repent. But he built the ark. He obeyed God. That's what he was about. This is what God says. I'm going to do what God says. I, I, I'm going to preach. All of you need to repent and to follow God. But I, I'm going to build the ark. That was 
what he was focused on. And so third, this does involve confrontation. Believe to obey means you're going to trust God's word. It means you're going to take God's word seriously. You're going to be serious about doing what the Bible says. That's what's in your heart with humility. And third, this involves confrontation. You can see it here in the text by which he condemned the world. Noah condemned the world. Well, what's going on? Well, perhaps we can see some from Second Peter chapter 5, some things that, that were going on. Verse 5 of chapter 2 of Second Peter. And God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah was a preacher. He was a boat builder. Was that his main occupation? Probably not. Probably, you know, a homesteader had a farm and grew things and cared for some animals. But he ended up preaching. Now, some say that it wasn't that he was really a preacher. It was building the boat was a sermon. And then people would come and ask questions and that he would answer those questions and not brought condemnation upon the people because then they would hear God's word. And then because they rejected God and God's word, they were judged and they were condemned. However you want to look at it, Noah, by his action, by his faith, the word preaching usually means in the Bible a verbal proclamation. So by his proclamation then of what God was going to do, he confronted the whole world and brought a sentence of judgment upon it. When you obey God, what did Jesus say? you become, and even you are, by your nature as a believer, you are salt and light. So when you do what God says, when when you trust God, take God seriously, obey God, walk by faith, whether you're speaking, but even by, by your actions, that can be salt and light. And salt and light, by its very nature, does what? It exposes, right? Light does, sin. And salt preserves, but it also stings. There will be confrontation when you do what is right. There will be confrontation and conviction when you speak God's truth and live God's truth. This is even what Paul says about his preaching and all Christian preaching in Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 but even by our life, uh, verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests to us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death and to the other an aroma from life to life who is adequate for these things. And Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 is saying to the believers that were in, they were saved out of Judaism and now being tempted to go back into it and facing persecution. God is saying to them by, by choosing Christ, by living for Christ and then speaking forth Christ, you are bringing through that confrontation to the world. 
That's why the Jews don't like you. That's why the Romans don't like you. That's why they're putting you in prison. It's because they're being confronted by who? By God. And, and they're being judged. What are ungodly, evil people going to do when they're confronted with sin? They're going to be mean and hostile. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 12. Those that want to live godly will face what? Persecution. And in context, we see Noah would have faced, you know, verbal persecution. Beyond that, he doesn't seem to have been persecuted. These believers were persecuted, certainly verbally, but even physically. And so God is saying, take my word seriously. Believe me, have that kind of faith that Noah had. And through your testimony, through your actions and through your words, there's going to be a sentence of judgment that will go out upon those that are persecuting you. It's not going to go well for them. And now remember Noah, who certainly wasn't perfect. And though he faulted it toward the end of his life, he was a living testimony of taking God's word faithfully and seriously, and God used them to bring confrontation to the whole world. Now, that may not be how you want to be used by God. You know, there are times when you share the gospel with an individual, or maybe individuals, and they completely reject the gospel. Is that a failure? It's not a failure. God and his providence may not be working salvation in that individual or those individuals, but he's going to use his word and he will use your life. We trust God for the results and then we preach the truth and live the truth. We believe to obey, knowing that our obedience might bring confrontation and judgment to others. It might bring salvation if God so wills. There were seven people that were saved out of, what, millions? God did his work and his will or his way. We trust him. And then finally, in terms of understanding, believe to obey, we come to this last point. This involves justification by faith alone. And it's very clear, the end of verse 7, Noah became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah building the boat demonstrates his faith. But building the boat did not bring eternal salvation to Noah. It brought temporal salvation, but it didn't bring eternal salvation. Genesis 6 says that Noah found grace, found favor. It's, it's an idiom used in Genesis 6, a Hebrew way to say God had grace upon Noah. Genesis 6, 8. And then here it says, by faith, Noah built an ark. And then at the end of verse 7, it says, he inherited, he was an heir of the righteousness. That is a certain kind of righteousness. In the context of Hebrews and all that we've seen, that righteousness of Christ. He became an heir of that righteousness of God through Christ, which is according to faith. Not only is Abraham and David examples of justification by faith alone, but so is Noah. 
It says he became an heir. That means his righteousness he inherited from outside himself. He had an alien righteousness that was given to him. And it was given to him not according to the work that he did to build the boat, but work that was according to faith. Temporal salvation he experienced through the ark. Eternal salvation he experienced through the righteousness of God and Christ through the ark of faith. This was all by the grace of God is what Genesis 6, 8 says. There was this alien righteousness that Noah had and needed. You you remember at the end of the story of Noah, what happened? You know, they they get through over 100 years of building the boat Then the whole flood happens. They come out of the boat. Noah offers sacrifices, has a big party. And then what happens? Noah gets what? He gets drunk. Was it right for Noah to get drunk? No, that wasn't right. But he's saved not by his works. He's saved by faith. David, Abraham, they all had issues in their life. But yet their examples are being justified by faith alone. They all did not have the righteousness it took to get to heaven. Do you have the righteousness that it takes to get to heaven? Only in Christ. It says in Romans chapter 3, there was no one, no, not even one who is righteous. In one sense, all of us together on the same level, on the same plane of existence. One, we're created in the image of God, but two... We're sinners. We don't have enough perfect righteousness to get to heaven. We need somebody else's obedient life and death and resurrection. And that's Jesus Christ's obedient life. Perfect atonement and victorious resurrection. And I love this passage because in one sense it's saying, Be like Noah. Believe God so much with seriousness that you obey him. However, understand that that obedience that you have by faith is not good enough to save you. You need the righteousness, you need the goodness, you need the obedience of somebody else laid to your account. That's what Noah had to have. He was an heir of righteousness that was by faith, not by building the boat. And so that should encourage you, and it encourages me. I need, every inch of my life, every day, I need to live by faith, taking God's word seriously. But at the end of the day, my taking God's word seriously is not what saves me. Is there one moment in my life where I don't take God's word seriously? There's been many moments. I'm not saved by how many good days of faithful obedience I've had. I'm saved by how many good days of faithful obedience that Jesus Christ had. And he was perfect in his obedience. That's our hope. That's our justification. That's our righteousness. To not desert Christ and to not fall away, we push into faithfulness daily. Seeking to believe God and his word to obey. God said it. 
that settles it. I'm going to take it seriously and by God's grace, even if it makes people upset, it's not that I'm going to do what my voice and my heart says. No, I'm not saying that. I'm going to do what the Bible says, what God says in his word. I'm going to do that. And then when I'm imperfect and I fail and I falter and I sin, the truth is I'm not saved by how good I am. I'm saved by how good Christ was. And I trust Jesus. So then, what kind of ruts or grooves have you laid down? What kind of ruts or grooves in the the road of your life have you laid down? Faithfulness? Not saying perfection. Faithfulness or unfaithfulness? If it's unfaithfulness, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. You can simply go to the Lord and to Christ today and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Please cleanse me. I need your forgiving love. Renew my life. I repent. Thank you, Jesus. Christians, we can do Hebrews 10.39, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. By God's grace, may we make ruts of faithfulness in Christ and for Christ. Really, that's the nature of faith. Nath, faith takes steps and perseveres. May God bless his word. Lord, we do thank you for your word. May we lay down ruts, patterns, pathways of faith, of trusting you and taking your word seriously, Lord. We thank you where we don't obey. There is that perfect righteousness of Christ that we inherit through faith in you, Lord. Even our faith, Lord, is not what it should be. And so we thank you that the blood of Jesus covers all of our sin, Lord, is washed away by that atoning work of Christ. And so we thank you, Lord. We praise you for Christ's sake. Amen.